I get the opportunity now to kind of just, I want to wrap up kind of what we talked about at Vacation Bible School this week by looking at Hebrews chapter 11, because as I mentioned earlier, um, we learned about Moses this week, and we learned about how he was used of God in a great way to do great things for him. And so here in Hebrews 11, we read a little bit about Moses' life in verses 23 through 29. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were afraid. They were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he, was, for he looked to the reward." By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to come here tonight and to study your word together. Thank you for Moses and the things that you teach us through his life, all through the first few books of the Old Testament. And tonight, as we reflect on the statements of Moses' life, we ask that you would use your word in our hearts tonight to challenge us, to grow us, to draw us closer to yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had the opportunity to visit a hall of fame. Anybody ever had an opportunity to go visit a hall of fame somewhere? I, I've grown up most of my life, you know, being a sports fan. Um, in fact, this afternoon, you know, we were watching the baseball game as we enjoyed our, our Sunday afternoon. And as a, as a sports fan, I've been privileged to visit several halls of fame over uh, my lifetime. Um, there was uh, in Atlanta, where we lived, uh, we were very close um, to the College Football Hall of Fame, and so we visited that several times. This is Chloe with her grandfather. Was right before we left Atlanta, we visited one more time the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, we had the opportunity, my wife and I, um, when we were dating, we visited uh, the, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and that's in uh, Massachusetts. Um, my son, my wife, my son and I had the opportunity a couple years ago to visit uh, the, the um, Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And then last summer, all of my childhood dreams came true. And our family had the opportunity, or last fall, I should say, to visit, the, to visit Cooperstown and the National Baseball Hall of Fame, which is a place I've wanted to go my entire life. And I highly recommend any of those places if you get a chance to go. If you're a sports fan, it's something that'll mean a lot to you. And I've learned a lot of interesting things in those places. You know, I've I've seen a lot of cool memorabilia. I've I've you know been amazed at what it takes to be called one of the greatest in a sport. You know, one of the things I just want to share with you. One of the things that I learned is that you know Michael Jordan and I have the same shoe size. So, you know, you never know, right? I'm waiting on that phone call one day. You know, but. The featured part of any Hall of Fame is the hall itself, where you'll find things about the people that are enshrined there. You'll, you'll find a lot of information about them on those who have been inducted. I mean, really imagine, though, your life's work I mean, everything about you, what you're defined by, the sport that you play, it's all summed up in these few sentences on these plaques that you'll find. Now, in reality, you don't need to say much. Because the fact that they're in the Hall of Fame says a lot about them. 
Because you have to be pretty good at what you do to even make it into a professional sport. And then you have to be even better to be one of the few to be inducted into the Hall of Fame of a professional sport. Now, why do we, you know, why, why do we spend all that time talking about this? Well, Hall of Fames exist to honor the greatest of a sport or an industry and then also to inspire the future contributors to that sport or that industry. And in in Hebrews chapter 11, you don't find a hall of fame, but you find what most people call the hall of faith. You find listed here in Hebrews 11 specific individuals that God calls out and recognizes for the, 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 as champions of the faith in God. And actually, there are some who are named, and there are many who are not named. The pastor Warren Wearsby said, when he spoke of faith, he said that true Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. And that truly is the case of all of these names that you find listed in this chapter. That they obeyed God no matter what their circumstances are, and they obeyed God no matter what the consequences they faced, and they saw God do amazing things. Those mentioned here accomplished great things for God because they had faith in him. They obeyed him no matter what. And they saw God, as we said, do those mighty things. And here, their entire lives are summed up in just a few words or just a few sentences. Their entire lives are summed up and defined by the faith they had in God. And so those that are mentioned here are honored by God for their faith, their complete trust and confidence in him to do whatever he called them to do. And he mentions them to highlight their faithfulness to him. Because here's something that that is always true. God honors faithfulness. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for consistent faithfulness to him. And just like those that we put together human halls of fame for, God gives these here to challenge us in our own growth. God wants us not just to look at this and say, ooh, ah, you know, that's wonderful. I could never do that. No, God wants us to realize that in him, we can live in the same manner. We can also honor and please him with our lives by trusting him and obeying him. A little over halfway through the chapter of Hebrews 11 we find mention of the man that our kids in Vacation Bible School learned about this week, Moses. This is the life summary of a man that was, that was used, again, just an incredible way in the, in the lives of God's people because God's people have been enslaved in Egypt and he led them out of that slavery and led them for over 40 years and did many mighty works. And by the way, not to, not to be the last mention on the list, he also wrote the first five books of the Old Testament under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. And so tonight, just for a few minutes, I want us to look at this idea of how faith moves, how faith in our lives brings us to action for God. And let's see what we can learn about faith in God as we look back on the life of Moses. He had a faith that caused him to act for God, and that is what true faith does. It calls us to actions of obedience for God. And what we see is that true faith in God is belief in him that manifests in our full trust in him accompanied by our obedience to his work. Faith isn't mental assent. Faith isn't intellectual agreement. Faith is complete trust that's followed by devoted actions that, that come out of that trust in God. 
And so we see that here in the life of Moses. And what we see, first of all, in verse 23, is the culture of faith that was developed in Moses' life from an early age. Because Moses' parents are, one, are those who had faith in God. You see, Moses wasn't born in, in a time of peace. No, Moses was born in a very tumultuous time in the history of the nation of Israel. As I mentioned earlier, Israel was enslaved to Egypt because, because the, the, the family of Jacob, which the nation of Israel would descend from, had moved to Egypt during a famine. And they had lived there, and, and, and as they had lived there, they had begun to grow stronger, and the, and the nation of Egypt uh, was afraid of them. And so they enslaved the people to build the, the things that, that they had planned there. And in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22, we see exactly what was going on at that time. It says, so Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Specifically, he's talking about the sons of the children of Israel. Because they were worried that as they continued to grow bigger and bigger and stronger, that they would overthrow them and leave or, or, or worse. And so Egypt ruthlessly oppressed God's people. And here's Moses' parents having him as a baby. And we just had a baby in our home just a couple of months ago. And it's a wonderful thing when you bring home the, the, this new life. But Moses' parents couldn't even welcome him into their home freely but had to hide him and keep him away from the people of Egypt so that they could protect him. See, Moses' parents had faith in God for the future of their son. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. In fact, we get greater insight into this when, when there's a man named Stephen in the New Testament who was preaching a message and mentions this. He says, at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. And what the parents of Moses realized is the truth from God, that children are a gift from the Lord. And so Moses' parents made a choice. They chose to defy the sinful edict of the ruler of their land. Because killing children is sin. It's murder. Killing anyone is sin, right? Killing anyone for, 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 for no reason is, is to go out and murder other people. And so here they are, hiding Moses, and they had to go to great lengths to hide their son, and they did so in the face of serious consequences because their faith in God was stronger than their fear of man. It says they were not afraid of the king's command. Moses' parents' name were Amram and Jochebed. And this, their faith led to decisions that they had to make. They, they had to either heed the word of Pharaoh or trust God. They knew what God had said. They knew who God was. They knew that life was precious to God. And they chose to obey God rather than man, no matter what. You know, in our lives, we too face hard decisions sometimes. We are faced with consequences for doing the right thing. But true faith is that which is confident to trust God and it manifests itself in obedience no matter what the consequences we may face. And so there came a point in time, though, when Moses' parents could no longer hide him. They had to do something else. 
And so they devised a plan, and you read about this in Exodus, that they put Moses in a basket, and they took him down to the river, and they floated that basket. You, the boys and girls, I think you learned about that this week, right? About the, they put him in the river, and, they, and, they, and he went down there, and he was discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh, who rescued him. And then Moses' own mother was paid to nurture him and to raise him, and then he went off to live in Pharaoh's house. See, when the threats of our world conflict with God's way, what will we do? In the face of distress, how we react says a lot about our faith. And Moses had a great foundation laid for his faith in God. Moses' parents were a strong influence of faith on his life. There are some scholars who believe that actually Moses then would live in his parents' home until about the time he was 12 years old. We don't know the exact amount of time that he lived there as she raised him before she turned him over to Pharaoh's daughter. But during this time, we know that he did learn a lot about God and his people. And we understand that the foundation of faith that we set has a strong impact on our own children. You see, godly faith is not passed down like family genetic traits. It is a choice, a personal decision that we have to make. It is a personal decision that every person has to make whether to trust God or to not trust God, whether to dedicate their lives to following him or not. But we certainly can create an atmosphere of faith and a godly atmosphere in our homes that we should teach our children by example. As one author said, a home should be the first school of faith for a child. Teaching our children the things of God doesn't belong to the church. It doesn't belong to, to the youth group. It doesn't belong in these places. These places can help. It doesn't belong to the school. Where does it belong? It belongs in the, to the parents in the home. That's where it has to start. And again, these other places can come alongside and help to reinforce these things, but they can't do the job that God has called us to do. One day... Moses would grow up and have to make his own decisions about God and serving him. And we see that in verses 24 through 27. We see the choices of faith that Moses makes. We see that, first of all, Moses exchanged the life of a prince to serve God. By faith, Moses, when he had become of age, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. See, here's the thing. Moses had the life. I mean, Moses was a prince In the land of Egypt, he could have everything he ever wanted. While his people, the Israelites, toiled and slaved, he lived a totally different life. He lived a life of comfort. He lived a life of intense training under the the ways of the Egyptians. Egypt was an advanced society, and Moses was near the top. He would have been a very well-educated man But in all of that training, the things that he had learned, his heritage about God, they had never left him. And Moses, at age 40, made a decision that would shape the rest of his life. He refused his life as an Egyptian prince and chose instead to be identified with his people, the people of God. Even in the midst of affliction and hardship. Moses would not have been refused anything he wanted. Any pleasure he desired would have been given him, but he chose his people and he chose his God instead. He believed that if he did what God wanted him to do, he would be better off. 
It says here in verse 25 that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Listen, it doesn't take much to convince someone that sin is fun. I mean, we wouldn't be tempted to do wrong if it didn't look fun, right? If it didn't seem to be enjoyable even for a moment. We live in a world of sin and we ourselves have a propensity towards sin and doing what is wrong. And in the very short term, it may seem enjoyable. But just because it's enjoyable doesn't doesn't negate this fact that sin is always evil and sin is always passing away. It never lasts. And indeed, the pleasure of sin only lasts for a little while and the price of sin is very high. For how many of us in our own lives have engaged in sin, and yes, it was fun, and sure, it seemed enjoyable, and it really felt like we were really getting what we desired, and then it's gone, and we're left with emptiness, and guilt, and sorrow, and brokenness. That is the price of sin every time. Sin does not last, and sin always has a price. Indeed, in the book of Job, one of the people who came supposedly to comfort Job, rightly observed in Job 20, verses 4 and 5, Do you not know this of old, since man was placed on the earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment? Here we have Moses before us, who refused the pleasures of sin, fleeting as they were, and instead embraced his call to the people of God. But let me reference you to two other powerful men used of God by the name of Joseph and David. You may have heard of them before. Joseph remembered God's presence in Genesis. The very end of Genesis, between chapters 37 and 50, you read an account of Joseph where he was tempted to do wrong. He was tempted with the pleasures of sin, but instead remembered the presence of his God and fled temptation. And then you have David, who was called a man after God's own heart, but indulged in the pleasure of sin and so became a murderer, lost a child, and suffered great family turmoil all because he gave in to sin. Moses faced a choice and he chose God's way over sin. This choice is not an easy choice. And it requires a correct view of God and a trust in his way. See, Moses kept God's view in mind as he made his choice. Listen to what it says in verse 26 in the choices of faith that Moses made. It continues on, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. See, Moses had anything he wanted when he lived in the palace. There were the treasures of Egypt before him. He could have anything he desired, but... He made his choice. He esteemed something greater than that. That word esteemed means that he considered with careful thought. He gave thought to the treasure of Egypt. He gave thought to God's way above that. And he weighed the offerings before him and chose to serve God. And what he chose wasn't an easy life. What does it tell us he chose? He chose the reproach with the people of the people of God. He chose the reproach of Christ. That repro- the word reproach means a, def- a defamation and a reviling. That's what he chose when he chose the way of God. 
He chose the way that the world would never choose. In, in fact, in the eyes of the world, no reproach is worth giving up riches for. It wasn't like that he was sacrificing everything in his life for something better. No, he was sacrificing everything for what people would consider worse than nothing in the eyes of the world. Because worse than nothing is to be reviled for the choice that you made, which Moses was. He fell under, the, under reproach, just as Jesus Christ would when he was on this earth. You see, the, the reproach that Moses went through was for the cause of God's people from whom Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come. Moses suffered reproach for that cause. But why did Moses do this? Well, it tells us that he... that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses suffered the temporal reproach of this world because he had eternal rewards in heaven for his faithful service to God. The rewards of a relationship with God, being right with him, and entering eternity to those things that he has promised to those who faithfully serve him are always greater than any reward we will, we will think we could enjoy on this earth. Anything this world has to offer pales in comparison to who God is and what he can do for us. And if we would serve God as Moses did, we too will face reproach. We may have to give up what would seem to be the easy way for the cause of Christ. However, in the end, the reward for serving God will last forever. Moses faced a choice between temporal and eternal rewards, and he chose the eternal, even if it had temporal consequences. And Moses chose to serve God in faith rather than fear Pharaoh, just as his parents had. In verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not, forsa- not fearing the wrath of the king, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. When God called Moses back to Egypt to lead the people out, he was in a showdown with one and arguably one of, if not the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, Pharaoh. He was looked at as one who could do no wrong, as one who was who was all powerful. And Moses had been a prince of Egypt, but he had forsaken that to serve God. Moses turned his back on Egypt and its sin and its treasures. And so Pharaoh was angry with Moses for his audacity to come in to take away the Israelites, to take away those who were enslaved to them. But Moses would be undeterred. He chose to serve his God in faith rather than fear a human king. And he remained steadfast in his faith in God in the face of Pharaoh's anger. But this courage doesn't come from within Moses. This courage to do what's right in the face of what is wrong and in the face of opposition isn't something that we well up within ourselves and, well, we're just going to clamp down, no matter whatever anyone's going to say. No, in fact, when God first came to Moses... In, in, in the first part of Exodus, Moses wanted nothing to do with leading the people of God. He basically told God, send anybody else. But God reassured him that his presence would go with him. And that Moses would have him to lead him. God met Moses where he was and gave him the resources he needed in himself. And Moses believed in God and followed him and We see at that point in Moses' life, it was a turning point. 
that he, he continued to serve God in faith. And again, not perfectly, but consistently over and over and over again. And once and for all, Moses left Egypt behind to serve God, which was quite a contrast to the battle that the Israelites continued to fight as they left Egypt. Because the Israelites left Egypt, but if you know the story, Egypt never quite left the hearts of the Israelites. Because Moses wholeheartedly followed God, he could serve him no matter what. And Moses made a choice to place his faith in God and serve him no matter what opposition of man he faced. He heard from God, and he determined that he was worthy to be trusted. And just as God spoke to Moses, God speaks to us. Now, he doesn't come in the burning bush like he came to Moses or audibly speak to us, but he speaks to us through his word. And in the word of God, we find that there, one, is a God who created us and loves us and cares for us, and he can be trusted. He can be given our lives. He is one who will lead us in the way that we should go and do great and mighty things in and through us. And we see in the life of Moses, lastly in verses 28 through 29, then the conquest of faith that God led him on. God used Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. We kind of leap ahead now in the story of Moses. I mean, we don't really get the the whole thing here. You can go back and read it. God used Moses to free Israel from Egypt. See, God used Moses to to warn of of these things that God would do. And what God did is he brought ten plagues on the nation of Egypt, decimating the land of Egypt, attacking various parts of Egypt. And Moses was sent by God to warn of these plagues. He actually even was used by God to initiate some of these things as God commanded him. And what we read about in verse 28 talks about that last plague, that tenth plague, which was the killing of all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And God told Moses and he told the Israelites, this is what you need to do to be saved from this plague. They need to sprinkle the blood of a lamb on their door. What did that blood do? It showed their faith in God to, say, to do what he said he would do to save them. Now this was also symbolic of the death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who would come to die for the sins of mankind. And while others died all over Egypt, the Israelites were saved because of their obedience to God. And this tenth plague finally moved Pharaoh's heart to let the Israelites go from Egypt. But God was still not done with Moses' work in freeing the Israelites from Egypt. For God, in verse 29, we read that he used Moses to bring down mighty Egypt. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. As Israel departed Egypt, here is Pharaoh, once again, he changes his mind and says, well, what have we done? We shouldn't shouldn't let these people go. And he chases after Israel with his army, and they trap them at the edge of the Red Sea. And, but God had not brought his people out of Egypt only to cut their trip short by the Red Sea. God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea for Israel to cross. And if that wasn't enough, he used that same path of salvation to destroy the army of Egypt, effectively bringing that world power to its complete and final knees there before him. Moses 
we look back on that and we, we, we look at the life of Moses and we hear the name of Moses and we think, man, he was just, he was something else. I mean, he was just, he must have just had superhuman abilities. He must have had just this, this amazing, incredible strength and this, this faith that no one else has had. You know, Moses was just a regular guy like anybody else. The difference was he committed to serve God no matter what. All of those things that happen in the life of Moses, they're not because of Moses, they're because of God. Anything great and marvelous that happened is because God is the one who did it. And you see that. I mean, Exodus chapter 14 and Exodus chapter 15, as the Israelites come to the Red Sea, Moses says, stand still and see what the Lord will do for you. And he directs the people to worship the Lord. I mean, here's a man, he's 80 years old after they cross the Red Sea, and he stands up before the people and begins to sing the praises of God. And, of course, later on in Moses' life, he would, in his anger, in his bitterness, in his frustration, he, he would not exalt God before the people and would be disciplined for that. Because it wasn't perfect, like I said, but he was faithful. We still look back on this life of Moses and we think, my goodness, what an amazing man. What an amazing guy who, who God did great things to do. And what we see is that true faith in God is belief in him that manifests in our full trust in him accompanied by our obedience to his word. This is, this is what faith is. This is what true faith looks like. It's not just checking the box. It's not just, well, we did that. It is a complete and total trust that results in complete and total obedience. That's how you live a victorious life of faith in God. He, Moses was a mighty man of faith who trusted God no matter what. When God said go, he went. When God said do, he did. Moses placed his trust in God and was never let down. As I said before, he wasn't perfect, but he was faithful and Moses had his share of faults and sin, and these caused him trouble and heartache and discipline, as they do in all of our lives. But through the mercy of God shown in his heart, through forgiveness, he was able to be consistent in his service to God, and he enjoyed the reward of God's blessing on his life for a life of faithfulness. The course of Moses' life was set in one decision. That decision was to choose God above everything else. That was the choice he made. And just as the athletes in those halls of fame are defined by a choice to pursue a sport with their whole hearts, God's servants are defined by their trust in and commitment to God above all else. Over the course of your life, a pattern will develop that comes out of that decision about God that you've made. What does the pattern of your life say? Are you a faithful servant of God as Moses was? Or does your life show one who is still concerned with the things of this world? Could it be that you've never decided to place your complete trust in God and find new life in him and salvation from your sin? Because it has to start there. It has to start with a complete and total trust that Jesus did, is who he says he is, and that Jesus did what he said he would do, that he came and he died and he rose again and offers you new life. 
And if you have, and you still struggle, you still wonder, how do I consistently serve God with my life? Is it as a Christian that you have refused to submit yourself to God in all things? Because God doesn't call us and change us that we can just be part-time Christians. That's a life's definition. It's a life calling. And faith in God moves us to action. Trusting God and following him are more than just statements we make. It results in actions in our lives. So like Moses, let us have faith in God that moves us to act for him. Let us go out and do great and mighty things, not in our own strength and our own power, but in the power of God. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to read your word tonight, to study it together, and to consider its truths. And Lord, we ask that you would Use it in our hearts. Lord, thank you for these boys and girls who came to Vacation Bible School this week. And I ask that you would use the life of Moses in their lives to challenge them to spend their lives living for you. Lord, for these, to others of us who are here tonight, would you use these things about Moses to challenge us to, these, to this end? That we would be able to reach the end of our lives and hear you say, well done. For a life lived for the glory of God. Lord, as we look around in our world, there are a lot of things that are pulling for our attention. There are sinful things. There are things that that aren't necessarily wrong on the outside. But if we give them the credence and the ability in our lives to have the, the driving influence, they become wrong. We ask that you would help us to devote our lives to serving you. That we would live in a way that would honor you and please you, and may we be, then we would be amazed at what you can do in and through us. We ask now as we prepare to have a time of fellowship that you would be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. In your name we pray, amen.